Hey, we are so thankful that you're taking the time to tune into Grumwatt Church's podcast. It's our hope that this is an encouragement to you as you draw closer to Jesus. If you'd like to find out more about all things Grumwatt or for more info on our in-person gatherings, you can check us out at grumwatt.com. Now lean in. We're expectant for how God is going to use this time to speak to you today. Well, good morning, Grumlaw Church. Let me just say it one more time. We are so thankful that all of you decided to come walking through our doors here today, particularly if it is your first time joining us. Walking through the doors of any new place can be a pretty intimidating experience, a pretty intimidating step. So we certainly don't take it for granted that you had the courage to join us here today. Uh, if I have not had the privilege of meeting you before, my name is Shay Prisk, and I have the privilege uh, of serving as the lead pastor around here. And, and I really mean that as well. It, it truly is a privilege that I get to do this for a living. I, I can't believe that this is actually my supposed job. Now, now if you're new around here, a, a question that you might have circling around in your head right now is, wait a minute, does this place do like video teaching every single week? Now, the short answer is we do not. Uh, we utilize video teaching less than six times a year. And in fact, I, I keep saying that number, despite the fact that if you look over the last couple of years, uh, it's been less than four times a year. So more like once a quarter. Uh, and when we do utilize video teaching, uh, we'd like to especially give a voice to church planners, pastors that are starting new churches all over the country that, that we personally as a church have invested in, or in this case today, uh, we just feel like certain topics or content is best addressed by your lead pastor, which again happens to be me. So today, we are continuing in a series that we began last week titled Theology, where we're unpacking the theology of salvation. I also mentioned last week a subject that I doubt any of you were discussing recently with friends or family or coworkers. Like, we were just talking about the theology of salvation. No way. But, but throughout the year, in addition to speaking on topics that appeal to felt needs, something that we do do quite a bit of around here, it's also important to address the basics of the Christian faith. This is true both for the person who has already put their faith, their trust in Jesus. You ought to be informed about who it is exactly that you're following, as well as the person who is just beginning to explore. You have a right to know what it is that we hold to around here as you consider following Jesus. As I often say to the Grumlaw staff, to friends, to family, if we don't teach you about this stuff here, where else are you going to learn it from? Or as a dear friend of mine often frames it, if we don't disciple you, the world sure will. Now that's not to say this information isn't readily available to anyone who wants to research it, but, but the reality is most of us just won't insert a myriad of reasons as to why that might be the case. So, so last week we kicked things off by talking about justification, that the means by which we receive salvation or are declared righteous or are justified in the eyes of God which comes about by placing your trust, your faith, your belief, synonymous terms, in Jesus, in belief in Jesus alone. It is only through the redemptive work of Jesus on the cross that we will be declared righteous or are justified in the eyes of God. And to be clear, I'm not saying you have to believe that, but sticking with the premise of the series, I'm just informing you that this is what the Christian faith teaches and adheres to, that this is Christianity 101. Now, it's also worth mentioning that this series, more than most of the series we do around here, really builds off of the previous week. 
So if you were not here last week, I'm telling you, you got to go back and catch yourself up. Without the benefit of last week, some of what I say today isn't going to make a lot of sense, might be a little bit presumptuous and perhaps even sound harsh, but have no fear. You can always get yourself caught up at grumlaw.com slash messages, or you can find us under Grumlaw Church, wherever it is that you happen to grab those podcasts. So, so week one of the series, we explained how we are made right before God. See, we all have a nagging sin problem, which we cannot rectify ourselves. It it not only wreaks havoc on ourselves and the people around us, even those whom we care the most about, but but it also separates us from God himself. Yet God, rather than leaving us to wallow around in the mess that we have created for ourselves, he chooses to get involved. And, And he does so by sending his one and his only son down to this earth. Jesus would eventually willingly exchange his life for your sin. And then he triumphantly rises from the grave and thus conquers sin and death. And now, by simply believing in Jesus, you can have that right standing restored. That's justification explained in about 60 seconds. But but as we mentioned at the end of last week, that this isn't the end of the journey for the follower of Jesus. Though salvation requires nothing from you, It has everything to do with what Jesus did for you. All we have to do is believe. All we have to do is trust. Jesus now offers and, in fact, invites you into a different, and as I think you're going to see over the course of these next two weeks, a better way to live during our rather limited amount of time on this earth. And thus, over the course of these next two weeks, we're going to be talking about the second part of the theology of salvation, sanctification. The process by which the follower of Jesus is becoming more like Christ. To sanctify something is to set it apart for special use. To sanctify a person is to make him or her holy. Now, as was briefly mentioned last week, this is an ongoing process that is carried out for the entirety of the follower of Jesus' time on this earth. Now, if you've been showing up here for really any amount of time, You've probably noticed that I really do my best to look at these topics and subsequent messages through the lens of the skeptic. And rather than crossing my fingers and hoping that you won't ask that question, I'd prefer just to kind of meet those doubts and meet those questions head on. Now, sometimes there's a very logical answer that you can choose to receive or reject. And other times, I will readily admit to you that it requires a certain leap of faith. Something that we exercise, by the way, in virtually every area of life, not just amongst Christianity. Now, as an aside, and I'm going to run down a little bit of a rabbit trail right now, dismissing something because you cannot determine it with 100% certainty is frankly lazy and, and dare I say it, illogical. So to utterly dismiss Christianity because it can't be proven with 100% certainty, it isn't proof that Christianity and its claims are false. It's just merely a statement of reality. For instance, how do I know with 100% certainty that my wife, Andrea, isn't a Russian spy in incredibly deep cover? I mean, she's made me wonder sometimes. But but seriously, that's something I cannot prove with 100% certainty. But but psychologically, uh, emotionally speaking, I feel pretty confident that Andrea is not a Russian spy with the kind of certainty that you need in this life. I can know that to be true. So so dismissing Christianity and its claims because you can't know with 100% rational certainty is, I'll double down on it, lazy and illogical. 
All it proves is that you carried with you into this little thought experiment the presupposition that, that you didn't really want to believe or even consider Christianity to begin with. Because that type of logic actually undermines every other part of your life because very little can be proven with 100% certainty. You, in fact, exercise faith all the time. You did it when you drove to this building today. You had faith another driver wouldn't cross the non-imposing yellow line and smash into you head-on, killing you and your entire family. Here's my point, and that was quite the deviation from what I'm supposed to be talking about today. Hopefully that was enlightening for like two or three of you. My point, exercising faith isn't unique. It's not even unique to religion. It certainly isn't unique to Christianity. We exercise faith every single day, all day long. And as I often say around here, bring in your doubts. Be curious. Ask those skeptical questions. Don't you dare believe for the sake of belief. But if you're sitting here today and you've been holding out on Jesus until you get to 100% rational certainty, well, that day is not coming. At a certain point, you will need to take a leap. Or, or perhaps better put, you will need to exercise faith, just like you did when you drove here today. Now, the, the skepticism that you, you might be bringing to the table at about this point as we think about sanctification and living a holy, set-apart life is, I knew it, there's always a catch. I, I almost fell for it. I mean, last week, you, you told me all about this free gift of salvation, that that all I need to, to be justified was believe, but my spidey senses didn't deceive me. It felt too good to be true. The old bait and switcheroo. J Jesus might have given me a gift, but now he's asking for something in return. Now, now I have to live all perfect-like. Justification was the gift. Sanctification is the catch. T to which I would actually respond, well, sort of. With that train of thought, and if you hear me say nothing else this morning, make sure you hear me loud and clear on this. This is so important. There's an insinuation that the supposedly free gift of salvation is suddenly not so free, which, mind you, has hurt, misled, damaged a lot of people throughout church history. Scripture and Jesus himself could not be more aligned on this particular point. As Paul writes to the early Christian church in Ephesus, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. Faith, trust, belief, synonymous terms, and belief alone. That is it. Right living religious steps, doing more of this, doing less of that, that, that cannot earn you your salvation. Salvation is a free gift offered to you because God loves you that much and so desperately wants to see you restored. Almost painfully simple because nowhere else in our lives have, have we experienced such a lovingly lopsided transaction. No one else loves us that unconditionally. But, but it really is that simple. Belief in Jesus and his redemptive work on the cross and belief alone. So, not, not a catch, but maybe more appropriately put, Jesus has proven himself trustworthy. 
And now he asks you to trust him in return. See, it's not a blind hope. It's not blind trust. It's an exceedingly informed trust. It's not an obligation. It's a response. Sanctification is a response. And I might add a natural response. Just think about this very practically. Let's say a friend or family member, a coworker, a neighbor out of nowhere does something really nice for you. They give you a gift. What what becomes almost every single one of our immediate responses, our immediate impulse, right? right? You want to return the favor. I I have a friend who actually goes to to Grumlaw. He's a friend of many of you as well, and he's been exceedingly generous with me and my family. He's put new tires on my vehicle. He's bought more toys than I could probably account for at this point for my children. He's paid for meals and rounds of golf. And recently, I found out through the grapevine that, that he was interested in buying a flat bottom John boat. And, and it just so turned out that, that I actually had a John boat that I really wasn't using that much and actually had considered selling anyway. And so I finally, I gave this boat to him. I said, you're not paying me for it. This is for you. I mean, it was far from equal, but admittedly, it still felt good. But, but what do you do, how do you behave if the gift given to you was so extravagant that, that repayment or, or returning the favor simply just isn't possible? Let's say a friend, for instance, decided to pay off your mortgage. See, it would be impossible for you to return that favor because if you would have had that ability, you wouldn't have had a mortgage to begin with. And if that same friend calls you a month later and asks you for some help, let's just imagine the absolute worst case scenario. That friend comes and calls you and says, hey, can you help me move? I mean, hell on earth, right? What do you say? Do you say yes? Of course. You wouldn't hesitate. Well, why is that? Because you owe them? Sort of. But isn't it something deeper than that? Don't you sort of strangely actually want to? Because they have already proven to you that they care about and and love you deeply. It's not really as much of an obligation as much as it is gratitude expressing itself through sacrificial love. And that, you know, paying off your mortgage, while that would be a pretty extravagant gift, it sort of pales in comparison to someone's life. See, given the choice, life trumps money or anything else every single time. In church, that is exactly what Jesus did for you. He freely offered his life for your sins so that you might have the opportunity to experience true life, the life you were meant to live before sin started wreaking havoc on you and all the people around you. So maybe it's not as transactional, not as tit-for-tat as it initially seems. Perhaps it's, it's actually an invitation into true life true freedom that your heavenly Father has always wanted, has always had waiting for you. And if Jesus was willing to offer his life, what else might he have for you?
Now, hopefully you're putting this together by this point, but why should you lean into this conversation around sanctification? Why should I become more like Jesus? Well, the lazy, misinformed response says, I have to. Jesus did X for me, so now I have to do Y for him. Because basically everyone and everything else in your life has modeled that formula to you. But, but Jesus comes along and he flips this entire paradigm upside down. He has proven himself trustworthy and now he asks you to trust him in return. I'll say it again. It's not a blind trust. It is a very informed trust. It's a recognition that Jesus is clearly for me. After all, he willingly gave his life for me. So, so why should I become more like Jesus? I guess I won't speak for you. I'll, I'll respond for myself. I, I want to. Because he hasn't just said he's for me, as so many people claim in, in our lives. He's shown me that. Unequivocally proven that to be true. In, in, in fact, Paul puts it this way in the early letter to the Christian church in Rome. He said, God showed. He didn't just talk about it. He showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us. This is an important qualifier. While we were still sinners. He freely offered his life for me, not once I got my act together, but in the midst of my rebellion, in the midst of your rebellion, while we were still sinning, fully understanding that many people would end up rejecting this gift of salvation. That is when he sent his son. And if there's a God out there that's willing to do that, shouldn't I at least entertain the notion that his way of living might be a little better than whatever it is I'm currently working with, that the way of living that, let's just be honest for a moment, but my own life has demonstrated to me really isn't working. But perhaps it is time to give gratitude expressing itself through sacrificial love a shot. And in turn, we'll we'll be modeling what Christ has done for us to all the people around us. Some might say we'll actually be becoming more like Christ himself. Now, we just barely turned over this rock this morning in this conversation regarding sanctification, that process by which the follower of Jesus is becoming more like Christ. Today was really about the why. Why I think all of you should at least consider becoming more and more like Jesus because just like justification, it is indeed a choice. Next week, we're going to talk about how we go about doing this because as every single one of our life experiences has shown us, living like this isn't as simple as flipping a switch and deciding, great, now I guess I'll just be holy. In fact, some of you, you've walked away from Jesus for that very reason. You've figured out that pursuing this in your own strength is nothing short of exhausting, and so you just gave up. Others of you, you've walked away from the church because self-righteous, judgmental people have elevated acting right over the saving grace of Jesus. And if that would describe you, I just want to say genuinely, I'm sorry. That that is not what Jesus taught, and it certainly isn't who he is. 
Fortunately for every single one of us, God doesn't leave us to figure out sanctification on our own. And this is going to be what we're going to explore next week. So this is sort of a teaser. He offers us three tools of significant importance in this pursuit. Number one is is his word. The the scriptures, this book that we would refer to as the Bible. See, See, this isn't an old book. It's a timeless book. It doesn't just tell us something that happened. It tells us what always happens. It provides for us the general will of God. It shows us who God is and beautifully articulates the story of a loving father desperately pursuing a relationship with his most prized possession, you and and I. The second tool is his church. That is a, a body of fellow believers who are also pursuing sanctification. People who encourage us when we're struggling. When my faith is waning, I need yours to lift me up. When you are lacking in joy, I will point you to the source of joy. Now, now does it always work out this way? No. (laughs) We're a bunch of imperfect people pursuing our perfect Savior. And when we inevitably let one another down, the grace of God is more than sufficient to cover up the messes that we create. And then thirdly, His Spirit. Jesus himself told us it would be better that he leave this earth so that the Holy Spirit, so that God in spirit could be sent. Now God, like we see in the person of Jesus, isn't limited to a time and place. The Holy Spirit now dwells within every follower of Jesus, going before us, with us, and after us. A holy life isn't reserved for heaven. It's a life that is waiting for us now. That that is only possible through the constant indwelling power and presence of the Holy Spirit. Now, I'd like to end our time together this morning right where we started. I'm going to ask every one of you watching, every one of you who have gathered here today to exercise faith. But remember, this isn't a blind faith. It's a very informed faith. It's, in fact, a decision that, that people have been making now for thousands of years. It's a decision to look at what Jesus did for you and now respond in gratitude. Not in, I have to, but I think, maybe, even though I've resisted for so long, I think... I want to. It's a trust, a well-informed leap that tells you, if Jesus was willing to do that for me, I mean, give his life for my sin, then what else might he have waiting for me? It's a place of quiet surrender where we decide, God, Your will be done. I've tried my way, and honestly, it it isn't really going the way I had hoped. I'm broken, perhaps hurting, maybe dissatisfied, frustrated, discontent. I have chosen to believe in you, justification. But but now I'm ready to actually follow you, sanctification. 
Now, what I'm going to ask of each of you right now is to bow your heads and just kind of extend your hands in, in, in an open posture that just says, God, I'm, I'm ready to receive whatever it is that you want to speak to me. And with that, with all of our heads bowed, with all of our hands extended, I, I want to pray these words that we find in 1 Peter chapter 2 over all of us. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Again, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Amen. I'm going to ask you to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Give him that space right now. Give him your attention right now. As we declare that our lives are, are his to be used as instruments for his glory.